dear listeners, and a very warm welcome to the newest episode of Fans About Films, your lovely podcast hosted by Lasse Vogt, a German nerd with a Swedish name who loves to talk about movies um, with other people. Um, yeah, it's really, really weird that I have so many English language episodes, but uh, some people seem to enjoy it, so I'm sticking to it, and I had the chance to talk to many, many lovely people. And one of them, brand new on this podcast, is going to introduce himself now. Hi, I'm Becky, also known as Music Gamer 460. I'm a blogger for Film Music Central on WordPress at filmmusiccentral.com. And I currently study film music as a PhD candidate. And I'm so glad to be here. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you very much. So, uh, what? So, how exactly? So, you're doing this for a living? I'm hoping to. <laughs> That's great. I'm, I'm 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 currently finishing my my uh, my PhD, my doctorate, where I study a science fiction film scores, and so I am hoping to eventually teach film music at the college level, and hopefully I will be making a living doing that. Oh, that's so great, because I also write uh, German score reviews for a blog, and um, I would love to do that also for a living, but it hasn't happened yet. But uh, I have gotten some lovely free feedback from some people. The first feedback was actually um, back in uh, 2015 by uh, composer Douglas Pipes for my um, Krampus um, score review. And after that, um, some, other, some other composers actually gave me lovely feedback and said, hey, thank you. Uh, and thank you, you like the music because <laughs> I, I really hope that no no composer who I gave a bad review to has ever mm -hmm. read one of my <laughs> one one of my um, reviews. So I actually uh, stay away from really bad scores nowadays because it was like I think it was in 2016 where I had like five negative score reviews, and then I was like, it's really not fun to listen to bad film music, so maybe I should just uh, stay away listening to that for review purposes. I, I have rarely found a film score to be truly bad, in my experience. Oh. Of, 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 although Van Helsing stands out as a notable example. You didn't like the Van Helsing score? No. <laughs> that was the best part of a movie. <laughs> not, not from, not from my experience. No. What, what didn't you, what didn't you like about it? It all sounded the same. Oh. It, it, it was just the same chords after another. There was no variety. Well, you're kind of right, but in my opinion, they were awesome chords. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the wonderful thing about it. Two people can hear it and draw completely different conclusions, and they're both right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody's wrong for having an opinion, um, which yep. is actually something uh, we would like to discuss on this episode. Because, dear listeners, both of us, um, and I think some of you, not all of you, because in that case, the movie would have done better at the box office, um, we both saw Solo, a Star Wars story. And I did my German review for it, and you did your um, your text review of it. But mm -hmm. uh, we came to the conclusion that we had a lot more to say, and so I really wanted to discuss this um, in this uh, environment uh, with somebody else who maybe also has another perspective uh, than myself, um, because I am not really 
the biggest Star Wars fan. Like, like, let me let me rephrase that. I don't dislike the movies. I th I think the movies are entertaining, but I'm not married to it. I'm not one of those fans who grew up with it and has this big nostalgia for it and thinks it's the best thing in the world and uh, mm. and all that stuff. I just enjoy them as simple movie experiences and I'm glad when they entertain me and I'm also like a little sad when they don't entertain me but then I'm just moving on with my life <laughs> oh this will be an, an interesting conversation <laughs> oh that's awesome I, I, I can't wait so um, to get right into the first topic um, for for our listeners also um, um, how how did you uh, what were your expectations going into solo uh, i had no expectations whatsoever um i was actually t convinced that this was going to be disney's first flop with star wars because from the moment it was announced i had no excitement no emotion i didn't feel anything about it you know it's like no offense to the Han Solo character, but I really wasn't interested in seeing how he got to where he is. Um, so I really went to see it more out of obligation because it's Star Wars than anything else. Mm -hmm. and, and thankfully, I, I was pleasantly surprised by the end, but, but, but that's for later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I went into it with another point of view. Because, of course, one of the best aspects for me of the original trilogy and also like of uh, Force Awakens, like is is the character of Han Solo. He's the he's the cult character who everybody wants to be. Like, um, and he he's the bad boy with uh, a heart of gold. You know, he's he's a cynic. He's funny. Uh, he's he's yeah. He's the guy we uh, we all want to be. And. Um, uh, when it comes to an <laughs> origin story, so to speak, of course, I, what what? I, oh, I sorry. Hate origin stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get, I get your point. I mean, whatever the, uh, I mean, the 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 movies drop little hints here and there about some of his past, but they don't go into detail. When they mention like something, something like the Castle Run or. Or something like his his history of trouble with the heart, which they expand upon in episode six, and um, I was under the impression that whatever the movie offers you, it's not going to be as good as you are um, thinking of in your head. Like when you when you think about oh what what might his backstory be, and I don't know if it had been explored in any of those spin-off books, which I don't read and I don't count as canon, even though a lot of people do. It was. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I mean, there were varying accounts because there were many authors, but yeah, the, the old books did, maybe not, they didn't visit it directly, but it was spelled out a bit more. Ah, all right. So um, I was just um, so I was not looking forward to the movie in a sense like oh it's a movie about the young Han Solo. I was looking forward to the movie because of the people who were involved in at least originally. Because when I heard Phil Lord and Christopher Miller were directing it, I was like, they these these directors are are so, are so good, and they actually had a little Star Wars bit in the Lego Movie, 
which was really funny. <laughs> I love that. Uh, so, so maybe that was kind of like where uh, and uh, someone at Lucasfilm saw that and they were like, "Hey, this guys, uh, these guys are the right uh, people to uh, to direct a, a Star Wars movie." So I, I I like their work a lot, and so I thought they could bring a new angle to Star Wars. And originally, this was going to be the plan, I guess, because, um, dear listeners, for those of uh, of you who who don't uh, who didn't know about this, um, and we are uh, we are just going uh, through this briefly because there's not that much to say. Pretty much after they completed ninety percent of the shoot, uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller were fired because their vision didn't get along with the vision uh, Kathleen Kennedy and especially. Um, a screenwriter Lawrence Kasdan had. They didn't like that they were going off script, that they let their actors uh, improvise and everything, and they added jokes. They wanted humor, but way less humor. And so they fired them after 90% of the production, and after one week, um, Ron Howard came along. And uh, another director they considered was Joe Johnston, which made a lot of sense to me, because obviously they wanted a guy in the director's chair who wouldn't fight, who they could control, who wouldn't do anything that they didn't want. And Ron How- because Ron Howard is one of these directors who he is, like, like uh, technically he is a good director, but he always gets involved with these projects and he does his job, but he never does anything beyond that. Like, he never... like All, all of his movies he's done. Stuff like... Um, Willow, The Da Vinci Code, Trilogy, like um, Rush, uh, what was the other one? Uh, In the Heart of the Sea, or Beautiful... Beaut- Apollo 13. Yeah, Apollo 13, uh, exactly, thank you. Um, A Beautiful Mind. You don't look at these movies and think, oh, this is a Ron Howard film, because he doesn't have an own uh, artistic voice, like like someone uh, uh, of a caliber of like maybe an Edgar Wright or Tim Burton or Guillermo del Toro. So obviously he he's kind of like a director in the veins of Joe Johnson and Brad Ratner. He's just one director of a higher caliber because he also won an Oscar, and he does a lot of um, work that is widely uh, critically um, regarded uh, good. Uh, but yeah, not the Da Vinci Code trilogy. That is like the big exception uh, where he was just like yeah, blockbuster thriller, whatever. Um, but but that made a lot of sense to me that they said yeah, let's let's get this guy and I actually am very angry about Lawrence Kasdan because I don't think a screenwriter should have this big of an impact on a movie because you write a script you don't write a movie you write a script and then the people um makes make a movie out of it and some screenwriters are very very involved when they also like produce the movie or maybe they direct it themselves so if you really want all the control and you want that uh, the, the the movie follows the script beat for beat, you should direct it yourselves. And as actually they, they considered Kasten at one point to direct it. But it, this is something that really, really bothers me. That like a screenwriter, oh, they don't, we are not following my script, so uh, out with them. And uh, yeah, it, that was something that really, that really angered me. Is there anything you want to add to that or were you aware of this? Oh, oh! I, believe me, I was very aware of it um, when it was announced that uh, those two were sacked and then Ron Howard was brought in. That was when I knew that they were in real trouble because 
as much respect as I have for Ron Howard, and I have a lot of respect for everything he's done, you know, acting, directing, and all that, his films lately, if you've noticed, haven't done all that well. Mm. And so I... If this were like 20 years ago, I would have felt no qualms about Ron Howard being brought in, but his name being brought in didn't inspire me with confidence, shall we say? Yeah. And so I was just like, oh, please don't let this be the end. And it's my understanding he reshot 80% of the film. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much accurate. And so I... I'm not sure what, if anything, remains of what those two shot, so... Yeah, I, I'm not sure either. Because uh, uh, the one scene I can I can actually say with clear clarity that was directed by Ron Howard is the scene where Clint Howard shows up. <laughs> where? The, he is in the um, at the end of the bar scene when we get introduced to L3. Um, he's he's like like the, the cage fighter guy. Um, oh my god, I completely missed that. Yeah, but... I, I was like, oh my gosh, I was like, now you're saying that, it's like, oh my god, I com- I completely forgot he does that. He puts him in every movie he does. I, I think so. Oh my I... god, now, now now I have to go back and see it. Yeah, because I don't I don't think Clint is in. Um... In the heart of a sea. I, I don't remember spotting him there. There's a guy who kind of looks like him, but I don't think he's in there. Yeah, because um, uh, I, I recognized him right away. Because it's Clint Howard, you know? And it's like, ah, there he is. Yeah. So so there, there I was certain, okay, this is directed by, uh, by, by Howard himself. But um, in a way... It's kind of it's kind of funny that Ron Howard directs this movie because, like I said, he directed Willow, which was also a George Lucas project, in which was pretty much the fantasy version of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. It, it when when you watch this movie again, it has as well it, it has parallels to the Lord of the Rings, but to the books because the the, the movies weren't out yet. It, it has a lot uh, of elements of Lord of the Rings, but also a lot of Star Wars things. You have all the all the I've tropes, a- you have the characters. I have actually never seen Willow. Oh, it's a fine movie, you know, but it's pretty much like Star Wars Fantasy Edition. It, you yeah. have you have a Darth Vader stand-in, you have a Han Solo stand-in, but also uh, they, they could also count as like the Aragon stand-in, etc. Um, right. it's, 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 a, it's a pretty, it, it's visually a, a pretty interesting movie, and also it's great to see Warwick Davis in a leading role in that movie. Um, and it it has a wonderful score by James Horner. It, it's it's oh, one of his best, in my opinion. But um, so it's kind of funny that he directed that kind of like that Star Wars ripoff in a way, even though it was a George Lucas project. And now he's actually directing something that is from this franchise. So it, it he has kind of come full circle. <laughs> well, I I did, I did hear that he was offered the Phantom Menace. Yeah, I think you're right. But 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 at the time he turned it down, and I guess he regretted it. So that's why he jumped at when he was offered to fix Solo. Yeah, because I think all of us regretted it. Can you imagine in his hands what the Phantom Menace could have become? No, actually. No, I mean, it's it's just 
Well, the story's so set in my mind, I can't envision it being anything other than what it is. I mean, I'm sure it would have been different, but where would it have been better? It's hard to say. I mean, I mean, because George Lucas was still in charge at the time, so it's it's hard to say how much of Ron Howard's vision would have got would have superseded what George wanted. Yeah, and I mean, he he doesn't really have a vision in that in that sense, but he always he's pretty good in directing actors. Uh, he he always uh, pushes them to a pretty solid performance. I mean, he directed Oscar-nominated performances in his movies. So um, he's he's a guy, I mean, but every director can handle actors better than George Lucas can. <laughs> so that goes without saying. You know, you, you, you could have gotten anyone to direct these movies and they would have had better acting than... <laughs> Than under, in that, yeah. In that in that case, he should have directed Attack of the Clones. Yeah, that is uh, acting wise. <laughs> I think that's uh, that's the worst. But and so, it's but, not it's not their fault. You know, it's like everybody bashed at the time. You know, Hayden Christians and everything. And I'm like, nobody should judge any actor based on a bad performance he gave in a George Lucas directed film. Right. And the only people who come out of those movies unscathed are the Brits, for some reason. Like, British actors are so good, they can actually survive bad directing. <laughs> like, like I mean, I mean, Hugh McGregor is really good in these movies. Um, Ian McDermott is fun. You know, all of the British actors, they're solid. Like, all, all the other people suck. <laughs> uh Anyways, I, I really want to talk about Kira. Okay. Not to, like, change direction, but it's like she's been on my mind ever since I saw this. Yeah, on mine kind of as well. So what do you have to say about her? Well, first of all, I am ashamed to say it took me way too long to recognize Amelia Clark. Actually, me as well. In the first scene, it took me about a minute to realize that was her because the scene was yeah. so dark. I... I did not realize it was her until they meet again on Voss's ship. Oh. And, and 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 when she turned to look at him, I saw her eyes and I was like, that's Khaleesi. <laughs> and, well, I'm, I'm, I watch Game of Thrones, so I'm used to seeing her with the platinum blonde wig. You know? Oh, okay. She looks, she looks completely different with dark hair, to me anyway. Yeah. And so... And so I just it just had this light bulb moment where it's like, oh my gosh, now I recognize her. But I she's like one of the best things to come out of that movie. Um well, I, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I don't disagree, but I had uh, but I had some problems with and not, not with her per se, you know. I, I, I really like her as an actress. I, mm -hmm. I I I don't mind the character that much, but I I was a little. They made it a little too complicated, especially at the end, where it was, and also it was kind of telegraphed. If they telegraph it all the throughout the whole movie, like don't trust anyone, kid, and so yeah, it's pretty obvious that she will have something to do in because they kind of do a switcheroo, but then they follow the formula anyways. Because you think uh, at, at a certain point when they when you meet uh, Paul Bettany again, and he uh, and he says like, oh well, but but somebody already told me blah blah blah, and then I was like, oh she, it's uh, it's she. But then um, it's Beckett, not, 
Beckett comes in. Yeah, Beckett comes in, but but she also betrays him, but in a different way after that. Well, it's not so it's not so much a betrayal. It's just I'm not coming with you. You're right. You're right. Yeah, I I should have rephrased that. It's it's not a betrayal, but she's not what she. I mean, she's more than she um, than you expect her to be. So in a way, it's kind of like. I mean, she, she abandons him in, in a way, and then she's the reason he yeah. did all of this. Yeah, I, well, what I mean, the one thing that frustrates me about this story is they set up this whole thing where she's left behind on Corellia at the end of the prologue, mm-hmm. and so you have this expectation that at some point we're going to go back there, and that's where they'll meet up. But then on the ship, they render that whole thing moot by having her being there. And he literally goes, oh, I don't have to go back there now. He he literally says that. It's like, oh, that whole thing we spent 20 minutes on and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, we're not going back there. And I'm like, ah, like, <laughs> don't set up. Don't set up that expectation. And then just cancel it like that. Yeah, but I kind of got that point because also, I mean, the trailers ruined it because you see her in that scene, in that environment. So, you know, she will uh, she will show up in that scene. I mean, but but that's that's not the fault of the movie itself. That's the fault of the advertising. But I actually kind of liked that idea because it prepares you for the um, for the. Uh, outcome because um he he wants to save her and then it turns out she kind of already saved herself but she's not saved in the classic sense you know she's still i mean she's her own yeah but did she really save herself because it sounds like she's had that she's done some pretty terrible things and she's kind of like in for life now, even more than Han is, and it's like, so is she really safe? I mean, really? I mean, she's she's safe from from the um, from the awful uh, conditions on on Corellia, but um, and also it, like we don't really know how she got out of that. But that that was the point. They didn't want her to to be a damsel in distress, and they they kind of you know they kind of set this up, and then they uh, and then it's not that what do you expect and and i kind of i kind of like that it's kind of like yeah that, that makes this whole mission pointless but i guess that was the point that actually was the point but it was pointless <laughs> yeah i mean i i get that but I, I i still feel like they could have instead of spending 20 minutes on a planet where we never see again they could have just spelled it out a different way and just spared us that whole sequence yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, that's just how I feel about it. Yeah, and there's no problem with that. Um, I I just was kind of uh, I, I was like, oh, I know she's gonna show up in this scene, and you know, I don't, because I really didn't uh, I really didn't care that much about the love story or anything. I was like, oh, she's just one reason for him. This is kind of interesting yeah. how they. Because I actually expected this movie to start off with Han as a kid. And how they introduce him, and he's pretty much already this this, this fleshed-out character, in a way, you know, who has who had a, a terrible life on this planet, and then he immediately breaks the chains 
uh, breaks out of there. Um, I uh, how they immediately jump into uh, the story. What was kind of was kind of surprising. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I was totally expecting to at least get a glimpse at him in the Imperial Academy because that was that's actually a transplant from the old books. Um, that he went to the Imperial Academy and in the old continuity, at least, he was doing quite well until he got thrown out for insubordination. And Yeah, and that's so. something I didn't know about beforehand. So I was really surprised in the movie when he's like, I'm going to sign up for the Empire. I was like, oh, this is something I, I, I didn't expect. And I thought it was a product of a movie. But, but now you're telling me this is something that was actually established in another medium. And that's really interesting yeah. because I don't recall this ever uh, turning up in the movies. Uh, well, 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 it's never mentioned specifically, but in the in the in the books that were written after the original trilogy finished, um, it was spelled out a bit more that yeah, he was at the academy, and originally it was at the academy where he met Chewbacca as a slave, and that's how. Oh, they paired up in that continuity, uh-huh. but, but of course here they've of course here they've changed it around slightly, and you know he was there. Apparently, he couldn't follow orders then, so now he's this um, the whole mud trooper thing. That whole thing was just. Ugh. I kind of liked that because I, I mean I know what you mean. I was I, I was kind of angry that they. They tell you, you know, oh, I was in the flight academy and I'm the best pilot ever, but I got thrown out. You never see him pilot anything except for that speeder thing. But that's like, you know, that's yeah. kind of like the equivalent of cars in this universe. So it's right. like, so it's like showing me in a movie driving a car and then three years later, oh, also I'm a great pilot and you never see me flying a plane. Right. That's, that's really oh. weak. You know, it's a movie. It's show, don't tell and not just tell. Yeah. And, oh, what did you think of the scene where Han speaks Wookiee? I liked that. I thought it was actually pretty, really funny. That was something new. And that might be something that is left over from the um, Lord Miller uh, version. Because that's something they totally would have done. But I mean, it it, it was so unexpected, too, because it's like, I was like, what? (laughs) Like, it's like, like he, well, because... He's never done it before. I, I mean, well, for, for that matter, no non-Wookiee character has ever spoken the language. It's just they 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 speak their language. The others speak English back. Yeah, and um, because, but I think there are people who 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 know the who who know this uh, language uh, in this universe because and and also he does it only in that one scene and then never again and i think that actually also has a point because he speaks wookie to him to show that uh, chewbacca can trust him and yeah, um, absolutely yeah, and he is the only i think in the movies he's also like the only one who can understand him because he just he knows language and he hangs out with a wookie and here they how they established that he speaks it already, I thought was actually pretty interesting and clever, and how he, like... And also, he uses it to his advantage because the guards uh, up there can't understand them, how they are doing their plan. Right. So that's actually... I thought it was actually pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. 
I was just curious what you thought of it because yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was funny. It was something that was unexpected, and uh, when a movie nowadays can do something that's unexpected to me, that's a plus. Yep, especially when it's Star Wars doing that because yeah, Star Wars Star Wars can be very predictable. Yes, indeed, and that was something. Uh, we will get uh, into that later. But that's something... I, I think that's what the fans mon want. They want the predictability. Because Star Wars fans have no creativity, in a way. Well, not all of them. Not all of them. No, not all of them, of course. <laughs> but uh, some of these fans who are so married to the source material. And also the prequels really um, uh, broke... Uh, broke the, the original movies in a way because, I mean, um, wh when you watch, um, I am a big fan of Red Letter Media. I don't know if you are um, familiar with their work. I don't know. Okay, uh, Red Letter Media is a YouTube channel um, hosted by three guys and a couple of friends Mike Stoklasa, Jay Bauman, and Rich Evans. And they started out with these really long um, prequel reviews, um, like kind of hosted by a, a fake character, Harry Plinkett. <laughs> and he he points out everything wrong with the prequels, and he goes on for hours about it. And he has a lot of really good points, especially how um, uh, the prequels um, lack vision because um, they just repeat everything you know from the original trilogy and establish that oh, this is how it is. Like uh, when you see Obi Wan Kenobi for the first time in A New Hope and, and, and uh, the whole movie, he wears this, these specific robes, you know, with a, with a cape and mm -hmm. this, 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 this kind of stuff. But also, did you notice that also Uncle Owen wears something uh, pretty similar? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I've, I, I, not from them, but yes, I, I've, I've heard this argument before. Like, they, they took a random outfit and made it the outfit of the Jedi Order and etc. and... Yeah, I, I I have heard that one. Yeah, so you see, and, and the, I, I I I don't agree with the criticism, but I, I have heard that one. And yeah, and that's that's, I mean, that's the point um, I, I I wanted to make, and that's the point they always make, and they do a lot of funny film reviews, and they also talked they they did a video uh, months before Solo came out where they kind of wrote down their predictions of the movie, what would take place, how he would meet Chewie. And what we would see, and they also expected, like, oh, we would see him as a kid, and maybe his parents are smugglers. He is from Corellia because he mentioned Corellian ships in episode uh -huh. four. Um, he will meet, and they they expected, they predicted a lot of things right, especially the first meeting with Chewbacca. It's almost verbatim what they said, almost. In mid-film, Han is going to get captured. And this is where he's going to meet uh, Chewbacca. How about this? Han Solo and, and Chewbacca are thrown in an Imperial prison together. And we have a scene where it's the first time they meet. Uh, uh, Chewbacca's like in shadow. Yeah. Like rim lit, you know? Kind of like how he appears in the beginning of uh, Return of the Jedi. And then here. And, and then Han Solo's like, oh my God, you know, there's a monster in here. And then he comes up and he goes, and then Hansel goes, I'm sorry, what did you say? It's a good laugh moment. Yeah, yeah. And then they're stuck in the prison for, for months. 
oh wow, you think it's gonna be months. And then and then they bond. Which is really funny. And um, they, they had a lot of other really, really funny bad ideas in a way. Also like, oh, we will see how he will get his blaster. He will get his blaster from the Woody Harrison character. And mm-hmm. it's it's a really, really funny video. I'm, I'm gonna link it um, under this episode. What's Han Solo gonna be flying beforehand? Something new they made up or what ship can they reference? I thought of something so stupid. He's flying Slave One. I thought I thought of that. Oh my god! I fucking thought of that. And and then and then Boba Fett steals it from. Yes, uh, yes, that's the ship they can change. Yes. It's so bad. It's gonna happen. <laughs> we both had that, so it's definitely gonna happen. That was so stupid. I didn't put it in my notes, but I thought of it last night. And I thought of it too. <laughs> Which means some terrible hack screenwriter thought of it as well. (laughs) But yeah, um, this suffers from the prequelitis, as I would call it. And and it's something that a lot of prequels and origin stories have. This is a big problem. Because they are kind of in the need to explain everything when they really shouldn't. Like, who cares how he got his last name? I always took it like... It's just his last name. It's a weird universe, you know, where someone, yeah. where, where, when somebody can can have a name, Luke Skywalker, and nobody raises an eyebrow. So a guy can just legitimately be called Solo. But in this, they make this big point about how he got his last name. And that was uh, an early cringe moment for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, even I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit, like, it's like, go brother it's like that they really have to and but i mean that's a small one though in the grand scheme of what they missed with this film yeah yeah that's that's a small one and uh, this is something i really didn't like about rogue one because i mean rogue one was their first spin-off movie and they they tried something different in the way that they are that they were making it um you know a straight-up war movie um, with a different tone, and I respect them for that. You know, it didn't work for me at all. I didn't like that movie, um, but I um, it. Uh, yeah, I, I I know a lot of people did. Uh, me and my brothers kind of hated <laughs> it. Um, I really didn't like it because the characters were so flat and uninteresting. I didn't care about them at all, except for the blind monk. I actually um, liked Donnie Yen a lot in the in the role. Um, oh, uh, I like, he was great. Yeah, I liked the idea of the character and everything, mm. but. Um, even though, you know, it's it's a shallow reason why they brought him into this movie at all. But he elevated it. You know, he actually made this character have a point. And that is, that's something uh, remarkable. Um, but uh, the, the problem, also one of the problems with Rogue One is, is the constant callbacks. When they have, like, the you'll be dead guy and his and his friend just showing up for no reason in that desert town... Um, yeah, from it, episode, it, yeah, yeah, from episode I mean, four when they just make uh, uh, what was it a CD free C three PO and R two D two just and I mean it makes sense that they're at that base but it's just pandering and they do this constantly and in Solo those moments not are there. they they are there there are some moments that are no, so no. awful well yeah but. 
but 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 specifically, that's the first time there isn't a random C three PO or R two cameo. Yes, they actually yes. skipped that for once. Yes, yes, that's great. I'm. Uh, I was talking about these moments oh. are also there, but they are not that much in the spotlight. I mean, the the references sometimes are painful, especially at the end. I really dislike that one when she's like, we are going to start a rebellion. And he's like, oh, I, I'm not going to be involved. Well, maybe someday, wink. And it's uh, that's something I just hate so much. And also, like, the, and that's something I only recognize later when they make the, uh, the deal out of hand shot first <laughs> at the end with... With Beckett, I mean that's that's I a actually, vi visual visual callback, but still, it's kind of meh. I actually totally missed that as an Easter egg by Voiva him shooting Beckett first. I totally missed that till it was pointed out in a review. It's like, oh yeah, he kind of did. Yeah, but that's that's something that I, I I was just kind of surprised, you know, how how sudden it happened. So I didn't make the connection yeah. right away. Only later. Um, um, I, I, I actually didn't mind the whole rebellion line about how that's what they were using the fuel for because in, act, in, in, in the wider context of like with the animated series and stuff and the books, it's already spelled out that at this point in the timeline there are rebel cells popping up. But they just haven't unified yet. Yeah, oh, 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 I don't mind oh. the concept at all. I just, uh, I just didn't like the way they handled the foreshadowing how Solo would, uh, would become a part oh, of this okay. later in the trilogy. Because we know this, we don't need to. Yeah. Uh, we we don't need it uh, spe spelled out because it would have been it would have been actually funnier when they kind of played it for comedy. When when she, when she was like, we are going to start something like maybe a rebellion. Do you want to join? And he would be like. No, and then turned around and uh, went away, you know, and then that, that would be the end. <laughs> because uh, we know, yeah. oh, but later he will join the rebellion. So if they just yeah. spelled something out, and it's, uh, that, that's something I really, really, uh, that really annoyed me. But um, I liked the idea because that's something also I didn't expect. And that's also kind of a problem with a movie because they established the Marauders and uh, Envy's Nest and all this. And I was like, Hey, this is something really different, you know. This is this is uh, this is a pretty cool concept, and then they reveal that uh, uh, you know the whole background, and that was something I would have liked they elaborated on because I found it pretty interesting. But they play this reveal of her when she takes the helmet off, and yeah. we see it's a girl, and, and, the, it's a, and it's a, yeah, and and, and what. Well, well, and and the way they played that up, I thought that maybe she, she, as it turns out, I thought maybe she was going to be revealed as the cameo character, and then it's like, oh, I don't know who this is. Oh, but ah. what what kind of ca what kind of cameo did you expect from this? Well, the, well, there had been rumors swirling that some prequel character was going to show up. Ah, all right. And so the way. And and so when the camera closed in on the helmet, I saw a character hiding in plain sight this whole time. Here comes the tie-in, and it wasn't. They, they it was. I, I think they may have done it on purpose to like hide the the actual reveal, which came not too long after this. And yeah, yeah, exactly. So you were right about the rumors of the prequel character. We were going to this later, dear listeners. But um, yeah, but but I I didn't know what to. I actually expected that Envy's Nest 
and Paul Bettany were the same character. Like, uh, kind of like... I, I don't know. I know it doesn't make much sense. But to They're me... They're not even the same height. I, I, that's something I didn't notice. Um, because they, they really didn't uh, they, they didn't show it that, that well in all of these establishing shots. Because I, I actually thought that they, they would do something kind of like what um, some Robin Hood stories do, where the Sheriff of Nottingham is also Robin Hood. Um, and that, that's, I don't know. I, I, for some reason, I expected this. Uh, that he... Uh, yeah, that, that actually he kind of worked against uh, this the system he was a part of, and he kind of wanted out. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it no, makes I, sense. Maybe I, it doesn't. I, <laughs> I, I I totally did not think that at all. I mean, just the way he acts as bosses. No, 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 no. no. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I, I it, it, it <laughs> might it might be total bollocks, but who knows? But yeah, they <laughs> they play it up as a big reveal, and I'm sitting there. <gasps> Uh, who is that? Like I was like, uh, who is this? Is this like? And then I was like, is this maybe Woody Harrison's daughter? And then she's just some character. And and to me, it seemed kind of like, are they playing this as a big reveal just because she's a girl? Like because that that seemed kind of insulting, you know, in a series I of mean, movies yeah. where we uh, had where we have I, characters like Ray, you know, who is who is a very very um, a powerful female character. You know, this is something that we are really used to now. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, and actually, I think right, I, I think that was meant to be the big reveal that, because you got to admit, Enfys Nest doesn't sound like a girl with, with the helmet on. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they, they did their best to hide that. I mean, I didn't expect it, but that wasn't something I was like all that, you know, shocked by because, oh, she's a girl. Actually, funny enough, the choir theme they're using for her, because it's a female choir, that's actually a big giveaway when you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty clever. Maybe it was the intention, actually. <laughs> I'm gonna like, go back and watch this now and try and pick up on those cues and. Oh yeah, uh, uh, when uh, the, the, the Envy's Nest um, uh, uh, soundtrack cues, which which turn up as soon as they turn up in the train heist sequence, it's this big female yeah. Bulgarian choir. Um, yeah, so uh, we we will come back to this. Oh, may maybe we just uh, can it because I think to me, this is the best Star Wars score yet. did great work with the music um it hits all the right notes and there's just enough inclusion of john williams original themes that it, it just blends together and i really like in the the last uh, falcon chase as they're trying to get to uh get that stuff the the fuel refined yeah um if you'll notice, the music comes directly from the the asteroid field scene in Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, that's pretty obvious. Uh, that that musical callback actually worked.
Did you notice the Imperial March in the Empire advertisement? That was really weird. <laughs> I was because I I noticed that it was kind of like a a, a happier version. You know, it, it wasn't yeah. like uh, because that makes sense. You know, that they, well, they wouldn't play an evil theme in a recruitment video. It's <laughs> it's, it's it's actually become something of a joke um, that started in Star Wars Rebels. Um, there's a there's a scene in one episode where they're celebrating Empire Day, um, you know, which in the films is like the day the Jedi were purged and and the Empire was founded. And it was revealed in that episode that the Imperial March is actually the anthem of the empire that's so weird but because that you know that's that's kind of like that, that cartoon logic and in this movie that was kind of distracting i mean it's a different version but it was like what but but ah uh, i know that, that's kind of like you know darth vader uh, whistling it you know as he went <laughs> as he goes down the hallway yeah. it's it's i don't know it that's something that's something i, I didn't like all that much <laughs> it, 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 I, uh, I, I, I like that they found a way to stick it in there regardless. It's like, yeah, so. Yeah, because that's, that's, that might be something other people would have picked on. Um, be, because I don't watch all of these cartoon series. I don't read uh, those books. So uh, um, it's uh, that, that's something new to me. Because So I thought, oh, this movie kind of did this as a joke. Or maybe they left the Tam track in accidentally. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if it, it, well, if you ever get the chance, you should definitely try watching the Clone Wars, if nothing else. Uh, I, I it, tried. You did? Yeah, really not for me. I don't like. Uh, I, I don't. I don't like the designs. I don't like the characters. I don't care about these characters. You know, it's just yeah. It, uh, it, it, except Solo's cameo makes a whole lot more sense if you watch seasons four and five. Oh, all right. Be, 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 because everyone who's watched the Clone Wars has known for six years that this guy was going to show up. <laughs> oh, all right, yeah, yeah. I know that. Uh, I know that in one of the cartoon series, he was alive. Uh, I knew that, but that I didn't. One. I didn't expect him to turn up in this movie. Oh, because because dear I, listeners. Oh, um, I did, oh, oh, sorry. Uh, so, sorry, I. I mean, I, I didn't either. I had the cameo pegged as Boba Fett. Yeah. Or a direct appearance by Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, that they are um, not in this movie is the biggest Marvel ever. Yeah, all, all, I mean, they allude to Jabba. I mean, it's pretty clear he's going to Tatooine to join this guy. We, we know it's Jabba. Yeah, it's that's also but, a big eye-rolling scene for me. Like, oh, there's this guy who's looking for smugglers on Tatooine, wink, wink. I'm mean, like, ah. Oh, could that be? <laughs> yeah, uh, that was and, something. And, uh, but no, so, so it's like, can we like say who it is now or yeah like, because uh, dear, dear listeners we we forgot to mention this this is going to be a spoiler discussion so if you haven't spoilers so so if you haven't seen solo yet now's the chance for you to turn this off and watch it and then come back to this so don't act like we didn't warn you i wish <laughs> i would have thought about it earlier but you know now you actually um yeah and actually we spoiled something already with <laughs> With a, with a girl and everything. It's been, it's been long enough. Yeah, I think so. And also, like, all the people who wanted to see it probably already saw it because there are a lot of people who didn't want to see it. So, yeah, this but this is the big, big, big spoiler for the for the end of the movie. So, um, so here you go. So, yeah, um, elaborate. Um, so, so the big cameo is after 
Kira kills Voss, she makes contact with the big boss of Crimson Dawn, who's revealed to be Darth Maul. Um, last scene, t- last scene in the movies, tumbling down a shaft after being split in two by Obi-Wan, but who, in fact, has been very much alive for all this time. Yep. And, well, it's if all you've seen in the movies, you do not see this coming. However, if you have seen everything as I have, this is actually not a surprise, as, as big a surprise, because... Uh, can I go into this really quick? Sure, no problem. So, to make a long story short, George Lucas immediately regretted killing off Maul as quickly as he did. (laughs) So, and he was always looking for a way to fix that somehow. And finally, during the Clone Wars animated series, the chance came up in season four to bring him back. So they basically ended up retconning what happened and saying that while he was cut in half, he did not die. How did that work? Well, he, he partially invoked the, the rule that if you don't see the body, they're not dead. And also he explained that Maul was so strong in the dark side of the Force, he used his hate to keep himself alive. Mm-hmm. But... But it drove him insane in the process, so he's eventually rescued by his brother. Yes, Darth Maul had a brother, but that's the whole story in and of itself. And so he's taken back to his home planet, given mechanical legs, and, and eventually rises to become a crime lord, which is why he's in charge of Crimson Dawn. There, there's a whole lot I'm skipping over, but that's how he can appear... In solo as he does. So Crimson Dawn is something that wasn't first established in this solo movie? This is something that's mentioned elsewhere? No, I don't know if Crimson Dawn by name ah, all right. was mentioned elsewhere, but he it it is no it was established that he was a crime lord of many organizations. I don't know that Crimson Dawn by name existed, but he was in charge of several that answered to him. Oh, so okay. um, I, I, don't, I, I don't know for sure if, if, if this is an old name in a new setting or not, but yeah. Okay, because I was aware of the fact that a lot of fans also wanted to bring him back when you watch those robot chicken sketches and everything. I'm aware that he's a big fan favorite. To me, he never was. Because to me, he was just a visual, not a character. You know? He only stands out because he looks like the devil and he has a double blade lightsaber because he doesn't yeah. do anything that's in any way character related. He's just the end boss that Jedi have to fight at the end of Phantom Menace because they have to have yeah. a lightsaber fight. So whatever, you know, I, I really didn't, you know, I didn't mind him in, in that way, but I never cared about him as a character because he didn't. He he wasn't a character. And so I, I heard about, like, if they, they elaborate on him in, in this series oh, and yeah. in this book and all that, and I'm like, okay, whatever, I don't care. I don't consider these to be canon in a way. So him turning up in this movie, yeah, was a huge surprise for me, and I immediately was like, what? Because they established, because they show him as this cloaked figure. Mm-hmm. And at first What's was... A- I first would like which in, which in itself should be the first clue because you know all, the only characters we've seen hooded like that are Sith. 
Yeah, um, yeah. I, I knew immediately that he this was going to be a Sith, but I also saw the kind of like the robot legs, and I was like, "Oh, this is the Emperor." Wait, no, the Emperor doesn't have robot legs. Uh, so who is who is this then? And then I was like, "Who who is this?" And then he, you know, he turns up, and it's and also funny enough, they make a big deal out of this that like in this hologram because the hologram always is just this. Uh, this um, pale blue kind of thing, but here, for some reason, we can see that he has red skin. <laughs> well, well, that that's because they wanted to make it absolutely clear who this is, so there's no doubt. Yeah, and, but, but, uh, and but the thing is, even before he un, here's the other cool thing is that Maul is actually played by two people. Yeah, I know that. Um, yeah. But but um, the guy voicing him is his voice actor from the Clone Wars. Oh yeah, yeah, I know that because so, it was so, Peter Serafinovich in the in the first in Phantom Menace. He did the voice there. But 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 it's Sam Witwer. Well, or oh no, you probably heard a different version, didn't you? Um yeah yeah of course so I I didn't recognize I didn't recognize yeah. the voice of course because I saw it in the German dub version but I'm aware oh, of it um, it's not a Ra- it's not Ray Park's voice in the original I knew that and and it's not Ray Park's voice now either so but but since they used the same voice actor as soon as he started talking I was bolt upright in my seat like I know that voice I I know that voice and. I was actually happy that they're bringing him back to the films because this opens the door wide open for a standalone mall film that I know fans have been begging for for years. And to me, that's a good thing. Yeah, to me, I mean, this is where we um, where we uh, disagree because to me it's not, you know, it's it, because I don't care what mall is a character and uh, it's it's something that's just I don't I don't know because like I said I'm not that big I'm not that big a fan of of like the big Star Wars canon or I just enjoy them as movies yeah. and also uh, because a quick tangent because I want to ask you did they in the original trilogy because it might mm-hmm. be that I forgot did they ever mention that Han Solo and uh, Boba Fett had a history together? Mm, not in the original films, okay. no. Okay, because that's all that matters to me here. Because I know that his first appearance was in the uh, Christmas special, and uh, they and that's, that's not considered canon. I don't think so. No, no, that's no, not no. widely canon, no. because where, where they meet um, in, in, this, in this cartoon segment. And because yeah. I think a lot of fans pretend that there's this big beef between these two characters. But in fact, in episode five, he's just one bounty hunter who happens to find him and then brings him to Jabba the Hutt and then he hangs around. And, and a lot of fans think, oh, no, 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 they have this big history and, and Boba Fett hates him and when they hate each other, blah, blah, blah. And well, I'm like, that's never well, established. <laughs> well, in the expanded and it sort of is, but if you're just going by the films, then no, it isn't. Okay, because that's all—that's the only thing that matters to me. So I'm always angry when people pretend like, oh, they they have this big history and they they have this beef uh, between each other, and I said this this is just so so stupid. Because to me, it just was always like this this relationship, you know, of of a bounty hunter who has. Um, 
you know, who, who has the, the, uh, the challenge, like, find this guy. Because I, I never got the impression that they met before, and, and they didn't. <laughs> so, yeah. well, well, I mean, given how Han is, it's not that difficult to imagine that he may have done something in the past to get on Boba Fett's bad side, even if it's not stated as such. Might be. So there's the possibility, of course, but that's also something that, you know, if it's something you could interpret in, but it's not... It's not pointed out in the movie. It's it's just no, you no, know it's not. if if so, it's it's really subtle. But who knows? But I mean, I, uh, whatever. And then at the <laughs> end, I mean, he has this really bad way of exiting episode six, which is also awful. That's that's kind of like the that's kind of a sign of things to come, you know, because he he enters the movie not unlike Darth Maul later and uh, uh, he exits the movie kind of not unlike uh, Darth Maul exits the, uh, the Phantom Menace kind yeah. of like in a lame way but at Darth Maul he did it better you know that was kind of awesome how he quote unquote died but in Boba Fett's case it's just pathetic <laughs> yeah I mean George Lucas said if he could do if he could do that movie over again he wouldn't have, have done that yeah uh, whatever but yeah but but yeah, and it also like I I I I don't know. It's it's so it's it's so strange in a way because um, with Darth Maul and this uh, that's something that was also a big eye rolling scene for me because you know they are always concerned about fan service like in Rogue One when they uh, although that fan service scene with Darth Vader at the end of Rogue One actually worked for me. Yes, because yes. We, we've, that's something that fans always wanted to see him killing soldiers you know him him actually uh, doing some badass stuff and I, I like that I mean it's totally shallow but it worked for me in Rogue One it was pretty much the only scene that worked for me well, well yeah because I mean I, as much as I loved the scene on Mustafar I, when it ended I thought oh my god is that all we get of him I mean how can you put him in this and not have him go to town with his lightsaber and and, and then thankfully the end part came and it was just glorious and I'm pretty much and I'm pretty sure that was part of the reshoots they did for Rogue One yes yes it, 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 it was literally a last minute addition because they realized that they had to put a scene like that in or there was going to be an uproar that they hadn't. Because the chart says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that, you know, that's, that's something that's totally, you know, writing by committee and, you know, oh, what do the fanboys want? You know, it's, it's just it's pretty much it, it felt to me like Star Wars porn in a way. You know, it, it's like, oh, this is like the, like the big payoff, like when he turns on his lightsaber. and But to me, as shallow as it was, I actually kind of loved it. And I, I don't know how to think about it. It was pretty much my guilty pleasure. I was like, hey, this is at least some badass action stuff. I mean, sometimes it's okay to do fan service like that because it, 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 if it sends the audience home happy, you've done a good thing. Yeah, and that was the only fan service that made me happy because it was something, yeah, this is what I need right now. You know, some cool choir music and him going to town, killing all of these people merciless. It, it, they, they have some pretty cool um, disturbing visuals in there, how, how he kills them, and I like that. Yeah. Because I'm a because I'm a sick bastard who enjoys this <laughs> stuff in his movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
can we like talk about Dryden Voss? Oh, um, um, Bettany's character. Sure. Um, uh, uh, one moment, uh, because I, I want to say something about Darth Maul as well, because okay. this has something to do also with Darth Vader, like how they added him. Because every Star Wars film has to have this and this and this. You know, every Star Wars film has has to have clone uh, stormtroopers. And, and, and this stuff, and, and lightsabers, and R2-D2, and I was really, really happy for the most part in Solo that, you know, the Imperial uh, thing and everything, that was something that was just kind of part of it, and in the background, you know, you don't see that many Stormtroopers. And I liked that a lot. And uh, also, um, you know, no R2-D2, even though you have a, a, a robot that kind of looks like him in one scene, but it's not him. I was really happy that they toned that kind of hand service down. And then in the last minute, for no reason, Darth Maul pulls his lightsaber out. And also, like, they make this big deal. Oh, we can see that his skin is red, even though it breaks totally the immersion of the other holograms they did. And um, now he, well, he he pulls it out for no reason, just so we have a lightsaber. Because how how is this intimidating when he's just a hologram? It's so stupid. That was like the, the big scene for me where it's like, oh, come on. Actually, actually, I was really... Sorry, this is, this is going to be a tangent also. Um, I was really hoping um, that it wasn't... When I saw it was just his red saber, I was kind of bummed because at this point... He's in possession of what's called a dark saber, and it's like in the wider canon, it's a near legendary weapon because it's like a lightsaber, but it has a black blade. Mm. And for the longest time, it was not canon, um, but the fans wanted it to be. And when they finally included it, it was a, considered a huge moment. And so. I was really hoping he was going to uh, activate the dark saber, which would have really blown the fans' minds. But (laughs) it's not. I'm pretty sure the only reason they included him, besides the besides the shock factor, is I'm pretty sure that's indicating what's coming down the road. I mean, a, a, a clearer hook for a future film, I have not seen. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't mind this story to continue because I really liked the the characters and the actors. You know, I, I really liked when I heard that uh, Arden Ehrenreich uh, would play Han Solo. I was really excited because I'm a huge fan of his since Hail Caesar by the Combros. Did you see that movie? Unfortunately, yes. Um, I, I had the complete opposite reaction you did. I was not excited because I hated his performance in that movie. Oh, I loved it so much. I thought he was so funny and there are some moments in this in that movie where it, it kind of seems like a, a demo reel for, for Han Solo you know, uh, so certain acting ones I liked him so much in, in that I thought he was funny, he was charismatic he was a, uh, he was a really really funny character. So, uh, so sorry that you felt that way but I, what, I couldn't uh, wait to see him as Han Solo. I was like hey this is a really really cool casting choice. I mean I mean, by the end of Solo, I, I, I totally bought it, but when it was announced, I wasn't really excited. All right, I get it, because, of yeah. course, it, it's not it's not Han Solo he plays in uh, in Hail Caesar, you know, he plays yeah. a different kind of character, but it, I also, because I also knew he is an actor, he's not like this in, 
in in real life, and I I really like what he did with the character in in Hail Caesar. I was such a big fan of his performance in that. But yeah, but I I totally understand you. I I think I heard some other uh, some other people who had the same kind of criticism. Um, but I I I was I was excited, and I really really, I mean, it's not really the Han Solo we know. I he not yet because of course he he's way younger. And so it, I didn't mind it. But also I, I heard some complaints of certain people who said, why are you even making this Han Solo? He could uh, as well be a totally different guy, you know, just a different smuggler story. Take Chewie out and take this out. And then it's just a different smuggler's uh, story. So so what did you think about uh, his performance in this? I mean, it. It took me a bit to get into it because, like I said, I, I still think the whole opening part was unnecessary. But once he met up with Lando, then I really began to buy into his performance. Yeah. Um, as Han, and you know, I mean, it, it just—I don't know. It just something about the movie. It just took me time to work my way into. Okay, I can believe he's Han. And and the one thing about his performance that still bugs me is there's way too many instances of him, like, we all know that Han is a hopeless braggart, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's always making these boasts and trying to bluff and failing miserably, and it happens just too many times in this movie where he tries to go the whole cocky route, it totally backfires, and... It's like again and again, and it's like no, stop it. <laughs> it's like it's 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 like we get it. He talks too much. Yeah, to to me it kind of worked because that what that was something actually that worked in terms of uh, prequelitis and the way that he's trying to find his way yet. You know, he's not the character uh, he he will eventually become. So he's trying it out, and it doesn't always work. To me, it 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 didn't really bother me, and he had way more chemistry with Chewbacca than with Akira. I thought, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because they immediately immediately it works when they are uh, on on screen together, and um, like in in, in 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 little moments when he's like, uh, "What do you think?" <laughs> well, what do you know? You know, it's it's. <laughs> I love that moment actually. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so it's so funny. They they are great together and it's um how they you know how how they get along eventually and and everything. I I really like that because and also like I'm not like I said I'm not married to the source material and so for many people it's it's difficult to see another actor in a role that's so iconic because it's so indistinguishable from um from Harrison Ford and that's right. also that was like a star making role I think before that he wasn't all that was uh, was Indiana Jones before after that um during oh during so um, so you, well because Raiders of the Lost Ark was after the first film and I think just before Empire, I think it, it was kind yeah. of in the middle uh, of the original trilogy. So yeah, so, so so that fits because yeah, he pretty much became a star overnight with that film, and he he was one of the one of the best things in it, and um, so of course it's going to be difficult, and and I think that's also one of the reasons why this film kind of lost money, you know, because many people just would wouldn't accept 
another actor, you know? And and that yeah, makes oh yeah, me I understand. And that makes me think, when they eventually do that Indiana Jones prequel that's floating around, wouldn't it be funny oh, if they I... cast the same actor? <laughs> Actually, that would be funny. That would. That, 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 that would. Um, but I, I think um, it, it would be too now, distracting. <laughs> yeah. Now, 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 the one actor whose performance I bought completely was Donald Glover. Oh, he stole the show, in my opinion. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, if I didn't know any better, actually, the first time when you first hear him, even before you see him. I swear it sounds just like Billy D. Williams. Yeah, a lot of people said that. I can speak for that because, like I said, I saw the dubbed version. But um, he was he was great, and it, it's oh. funny. It, it's funny how they gave him his uh, his little quirks. Also, how he kind of vlogs uh, in one scene. Uh, yeah. How he uh, does this like diary thing. Uh, that's funny. I like that. The, that was. I was like, yes, of course he does that. That that's how he is. Yeah, that that was that was pretty funny. It gave him a lot of character and uh, his his relationship with with robots, not 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 just with L three, with every robot in the film. There's there's really this this kind of you immediately get how he thinks in a way. Um, yeah. it's, and I, I really liked uh, everything everything about him and kind of like the, the, the side gag with all the capes and, oh uh, my gosh that, that scene in his closet with all the capes I was like holy moly and in <laughs> fact I don't know if you noticed but like right behind Kira there's one that looks like the one he wears in Empire oh yeah I'm sure I, I, I think I missed it but I'm, I'm sure they, they took they, they took something like that, yeah. And that's yeah. also some. That's also something Red Letter Media predicted that didn't come true. They predicted Lando Carissian to have a, a, a carbonite freezing gun. That <laughs> 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 would have been too much on the nose. That would have been really distracting, in my opinion. But yeah, I don't think there's, I don't think there's a thing in that universe anyway. But. Yeah, because um, because it's a because in episode five it comes across like something they were just for first time testing out uh, on a human being, and and they were not sure what uh, what what it would turn out as, and so it's it's, yeah. it's something they were kind of surprised when he, when they say, "Oh yeah, my lord, he's alive." <laughs> yeah, um, but um, oh gosh, what was I say? I I love that they included them playing Sabak. For the first time, um, that's another one of those things that comes from the expanded universe. Um, there's actually a couple books that there, no, not a couple. There's one book in particular. I forget the title, but one of the running plot jokes, as it were, is Han and uh, Lando keep playing Sabacc for the Falcon back and forth. Mm-hmm. And so, and of course, the, the whole backstory from the beginning is that Han won the Falcon in in a, in a game from him, and I was excited to see them include that and make it official. Oh yeah, I totally get that because I also heard something about that game, and also they mentioned that he won the Falcon, so I knew that it was something that eventually would happen. But I was surprised that it happened at the end. I actually thought. The first game they play in the movie, that would be the point, you know, that he that oh. he gets the Falcon right away, and I liked that he didn't. Oh, I knew he wouldn't. I mean, because the other thing that that was established in the expanded universe is Lando cheats. <laughs> oh, you see, I I didn't know about that either. <laughs> uh, 
well, it's Lando Calrissian. Of course he cheats. Yeah, I mean, you, and, you, yeah. And, 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 and I love how Han turned that around on him at the end. You know, it's like he, he figured it out before. Now he knows how to flip it. And it was like, yeah, that's perfect. And Yeah, and also these scenes um, from the way the music was, the, the tone, the light, the lighting... Um, this, this, uh, all this stuff remind, really reminded me on, uh, in the space western way of Firefly, uh, which I really liked. Um, b- uh-huh. because you can, you could totally see the, the intentions, because for the most part it is kind of a space western, which I thought this movie would be, and so I was kind of disappointed in the kind of like overly complicated plot, because I think this is where we can get into your Dryden Force thing, because that's something I actually had a problem with, kind of. Uh, which part, like with Dryden, like what? I how they, I know I I didn't mind the concept that much because I actually was looking forward to the 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 seedy underworld of Star Wars. You know, seeing more yeah. of that, and and they kind of they kind of started that in in the Corellia part where you see this this uh, you know L- Lady Proxima, which was also a name I think I heard before. Is is she a part of like the? one of the books or expanded universes or something no no but 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 you may be thinking of proxima midnight from the avengers that might be it yeah (laughs) because as far as i know she is a brand new character to the to the to to the series so because um, i really liked that stuff and um i i thought i thought we would see more of that and instead they as soon as dryden foss shows up it kind of complicates things in a way. I, I don't yeah. know because you immediately know that there's something else going on, something much, much bigger. And um, I don't know. I really I, wanted a much simpler and more creative story than the thing we got. I I really liked him in and of himself. Um, just the way he's so unflappably courteous, right up until the moment he goes to stab you in the back. Yeah. And I just, anytime he was on screen, I, I couldn't help but watch him just because his performance was so, for me, good. It's like, he, you can tell this guy is dangerous. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this is something I, I also liked. Um, he he seemed, uh, he had different layers. And this is something you wouldn't immediately say, even though he has kind of like this, this scarred face. Oh, he is, he's a bad guy. He, this, is a, this is a guy who is actually charismatic, you know, when he yeah. when he's doing business. You know, he seems like a chill guy and the way he, he always seems to eat or drink something in his scenes. And you can mm-hmm. tell that Paul Bettany really is enjoying himself. Um, so it's, well, and, that's something and, I actually liked. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and, and here's the thing, because I mentioned you, I had this theory about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you mentioned those markings on his face. And I kept watching him because I was trying to get, get a look at him. And by the end of his um, story arc, I suddenly had this light bulb moment. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I think I know what species he, he is, or at least it is partly. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks... Just from the way the marks are on his face, I don't think they're scars. Okay. Um, he looks very much like a Zabrak, which is related to what Darth Maul is. Okay. Um, that, 
well, because the thing is, um, there, because but in both cases they have the facial mark. Well, they add the tattoo markings to create those on the face. But Zabrax have quote normal colored skin, and Maul's group has dark skin or red skin. Ah. You know what I, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. What and so, but but of course, but some say, well, well, he's missing the horns, and do you notice there's that little scar at the top of his head? I didn't really right. notice that. I watched this movie well, in 3D, and it was so dark. The, well, if you go back and watch, there's one right towards the top of his forehead, and it's right about where one of the horns would be, unless he'd had it taken out. Ah. Oh. Like, like maybe he's trying to downplay his non-human, because you know the Empire does, looks down on non-human species. Yeah. So it could be he's trying to downplay that part because, like Hellboy. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I've never watched Hellboy. Oh, because because he actually has horns. But he um, he he cuts them down because uh, he he doesn't he doesn't want to uh, get uh, recognized, even though you know he's big and red and has yeah. uh, his horns dumpster. Right. But this this is actually a part of his character, and so it reminded me of it. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, it, I mean, there's nothing to confirm it, but that, that's just something that's stuck in my head. Like I'm convinced now that's what at, at least. He's at least half a Zabrak because all it'll say on the wiki page is that he's near human. It won't say what what from. Mm. And so, to me, that explains why he has those markings and and also why he's so vicious. You know, because that's another trait of the species. Oh, okay. Well, that's a fun theory. You know, that that, that actually, you know, nothing about that says like. You're wrong. That that could very well be that they intended this to be kind of like a background, and maybe who knows? Maybe there was more to his character, and it and it got cut, or or maybe yeah. uh, written out. Who knows? But it's actually yeah, that that actually is cool because I actually liked his little intro sequence where we they where they show him as a murderer, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, then he he comes down and he seems pretty civilized, you know, and friendly. I actually liked that contradiction. And it, it tells you a lot about his character immediately. So, yeah, I didn't mind his character or his concept. I just, I don't know. Yeah. I think especially um, in the finale, it, it made things needlessly complicated in a way. You know, it got on for a little too long. And I was really surprised that the finale actually takes place just in his office. You know, it's not a big space battle or anything. <laughs> yeah, it, it was kind of a nice change of pace, though, because, you know, so many of the films end in the huge battles and... To have it be in a more intimate, as it were, surrounding was kind of nice. Yeah, it, it's like it, it's it's something like out of a out of a mafia movie or something like something out of this kind of crime movie or western you would expect. And yeah. uh, this is actually also something I I kind of liked. And also in these moments, I realized that Alden Ehrenreich didn't really seem like a young Harrison Ford. He actually reminded me much more of a young Kurt Russell. Really? Yeah, yeah. There were some moments. Where it was like he would he could totally play a young Kurt Russell. It kind of like some of the mannerisms he had, especially in that scene in the office, you know, where he's where he's hiding and everything. He I actually I actually thought he, 
you know, if they if they didn't do this uh, this uh, this CGI young thing with Kurt Russell in the in in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, and when mm-hmm. we see him first at the beginning, if they didn't yeah. do that, I, I think uh, I think Orton Eric couldn't uh, totally could have played uh, him in that scene. I don't know because no. uh, they they don't look that much alike, but the way he acts, the way he behaves himself in some scenes, I could see it. Yeah, to me, like by the end of it, that last scene he has with um. Kira, where she says, I'm the only one who knows what you really are. That's where I saw Harrison Ford in him. Just oh. for a moment. Yeah, but but uh, there was this one scene where she actually says, yeah, I know what you really are. You're the good guy. And then he's like, oh, I'm not a good guy. And I'm like, when was this established? Like, when did he mm-hmm. ever do something wrong in this movie, in a way? You know, when they did they establish him as the bad boy he well, would eventually become? I don't know. Well, he did steal a speeder at the opening, and he did help rob a train, even though it went bad. And yeah, but but you know, if they don't establish him, like you know, he's not a murderer, you know, and he's not like because uh, somebody who you don't know that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I'm sure he killed some people, but he didn't. He didn't viciously murder them because I actually really liked that um, that war scene with him. And uh, how yeah. uh, how awful it is, uh, how it reminds you of the First World War, and how he meets um, Beckett uh, and everything. I, I really really liked that part. Um, it it added uh, something something new in a way, like oh the, the ground troops and everything is horrible and it's uncivilized. It's not just like stormtroopers coming in and everything. Yeah, but but something but something that was actually pretty neat. But yeah, um, uh, yeah maybe um, I, I want to talk. Uh, because uh, I'm just a, such a huge John Powell fan, and actually, at the end of this month, I get the chance to see him live. Um, uh, he he's doing a concert in Hamburg, and I have two tickets for it. And I don't know who, uh, and I don't I don't know yet who will come with me. But I will get the chance to see him live. Uh, Gavin Greenaway will also conduct, and they are playing. Who knows? Maybe they are playing some of his. Uh, Classics, classical stuff he's been working on for the past few years and they are definitely playing something uh, from his film scores of Ice Age and pretty sure also How to Train the Dragon I mean come on oh my god but it would yes. be so it would be so cool because uh, last year I went to um, the same location to see uh, a concert by Danny Elfman live and uh, he was there and I got the chance to meet him and also oh. like like for a few seconds like uh, got to yeah, yeah. got to say to him oh I'm such, such a big fan and I took a photo with him and he um, autographed some of my booklets which was great and I hope that I get the chance to do the same with John Powell and then I could like uh, get uh, the solo score autographed which would be awesome because I am jealous uh, I, I, yeah I can imagine I'm such I'm such a big fan of his uh, How to Train Your Dragon is my second favorite film score of all time um, my first is the Rings trilogy <laughs> um, yeah but uh, yeah, and and I really hope that that I, I I get the chance for him to to give me some autographs. It would be just so awesome. And when he was announced that he would do the music, I was so excited. And I really like because I heard a lot of people who didn't like the music in this, like who said, "Oh, it doesn't sound like Star Wars and all that stuff." And it was actually something I liked about it because, of course, it pays tribute to some of John Williams' stuff, 
Well, but, and, and, and John Williams did write the main theme. Yeah, he wrote, wrote the main theme, and it sounds like something John Williams would write, but also John Powell just doesn't repeat it. And that's maybe something that people had a problem with because he makes the themes his own. You know, he orchestrates it in the typical yeah. power way. He brings in his big percussions and his typical brass writing. And I liked that so much because uh, on the album, you listen to the uh, Han Solo suite at the beginning and that's like, oh, this is definitely John Williams. And then in the second cue, you hear the same theme, but it's a power version. And immediately, the that uh, mixture works so well. It's it's just seamless, and uh, it's definitely a power score. But it also like I I think it's 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 so inspired, and I like how many new things it brings. Like the Bulgarian choir for the for Envy's Nest works perfectly well. I love that finally Chewbacca has his own theme. Which yeah. uh, which works wonderfully also um, yeah it's it's just and also um, the the love theme between uh, Han Solo and uh, Kira that actually reminded I loved that theme so much that theme is so good and it, I also wrote that down in my review that reminded me uh, at of really classical film music like that was that sounded like something yeah. Miklos Rocha would write for Ben Hur. much anymore anywhere unless it's a john williams score and those are getting to be few and far between yeah yeah i mean oh man it's he's so old and he's still doing such great work it's it's amazing yeah. you know that um that, that he's still doing this stuff and um but to me like uh, last jedi was uh, in terms of score kind of a disappointment because it just sounded to me like he was following no. he was following the temp track Especially in the scene where we just hear the Emperor's theme for no reason at all, other than the scene just reminds you of that scene. It's a similar kind of scene, and they just, you know, he just did the temp track. To me, it seems like he's kind of sick of Star Wars. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't feel that way at all. I mean, in fact, I, I got to talk to uh, someone uh, who's helped orchestrate. He helped orchestrate um, the Force Awakens, and so. He, uh, 
from his perspective, he's just as passionate for Star Wars as he's ever been. And in Force Awakens, I got that vibe because that was a great score. I, I loved the new themes he did. But for um, Last Jedi, he, he kind of didn't. You know, I didn't really hear that much of new. See, I mean, I mean, you you I, don't have that many new characters anyway. But and and the new themes he did were good. I like. I really like the Rose theme. I like the the thing he did with with a big chase scene and Canto Bright and everything. I, see, I liked how he remixed the. I like how Kylo's theme includes the Imperial March arranged differently. Like, mm. you know, b because of how he hero worships Darth Vader, you know, his theme is linked back to his grandfather now. Yeah, yeah, well, that's pretty cool. But I know, I don't know. To me, it was oh. just, it wasn't enough in a way. And, um, and I, I, but I, and also John Powell got recommended by him actually to the filmmakers. Yeah. He said he he would he would be great, and I just and I just uh, I like it so much. And I I mean all the film music fans really adore the score. But I see a lot of oh. reviews from different uh, Star Wars fans who kind of had a problem with the score. And I was like, what's not to like it, about it? You know, you hear the themes and you hear some new themes and it's uh, some cool orchestrations. They're just miffed that it's not all John Williams. That's all it is. Yeah, I it's... mean, I mean, th they're going to have to get used to it pretty soon because he said Episode Nine is his last Star Wars score. So who knows? Maybe it will be the last Star Wars film after all that's happened now. I doubt it. Yeah, I, I, I do I too. I highly doubt it. I mean, there's no way Disney is going to let it go. Um, I do hope that they will be more cautious about which origin stories they choose to do. In fact, I hope they avoid... My fear is that they're going to go down the road of just making every anthology film an origin story, and that's not how anthologies work. Yeah, you're, you're kind, you, you've got a point there, because... Because they're they're doing something because everybody wants to do cinematic universes now, you know. Even yeah. like not like Marvel actually, even though you know Star Wars wasn't a cinematic universe, it was just really, a series no. of movies, you know. Yeah. Like if like like Lord of Rings also isn't a cinematic universe. Lord of Rings and The Hobbit. It's just a series of movies that take place mm -hmm. in the same thing. But Marvel was the first who actually got through with it, you know, who actually made it really really successful and now everybody wants to do it you know dc was way too late in the game universal well, tried it with um, the universal monsters and failed miserably and twice. yeah so something something they they're doing is the like like kind of this conjuring universe that started with the first conjuring because they made the annabelle spin-off movie and uh, yeah. then the other one and uh, so in in this whole and this horror stuff, it seems to pay off because these movies don't cost as much. And yeah. now, now kind of Star Wars falls into this trap as well, you know, because I don't mind the idea of uh, these side stories. Um, I, I just wished, you know, Rogue One would have been better in, in my opinion, because I really didn't, I really didn't like it. It didn't work for me as well, but I got the point behind it. Um, yeah. And this, you know, now it's, yeah, definitely an auto story because I heard rumors about, they wanted to make a Yoda origin movie, uh, Obi Wan Kenobi origin movie. They uh, well, not not so much an origin for Obi Wan because oh, yeah. Phantom Menace Phantom Menace gave us his origin. Um, if they make a Kenobi movie, it's just meant to fill in the years he's on Tatooine for the most part. Although, I mean, 
I'm kind of on board with that. To me, that sounds really, really boring. <laughs> not, well, that all depends on the story they come up with. I mean, to see, what I want them to do is, I want, there's so much we've read about or seen in the comics that has not been put on screen. I want them to do those events, like, you know, oh, I don't, see, I can't think of anything, but you know what I'm trying to say? Like, mm. You know, you know, like, you know, sh I don't know, show us, like, go even further back into the Republic and show us, like, the early Jedi or yeah. the, great Je the great Jedi Sith War that we've read about but never seen and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it would have been neat. But, you know, but, but like, like, I bet you that they're going to do, like, some kind of origin movie where Yoda is in his college years or something <laughs> and, and, and he's he's getting uh, taught by I don't know, some old dude who gets killed at the end and I, I don't I don't, and they're going to do a Jabba origin story, whatever and a no, Boba, I, I no. mean a Boba Fett movie has been announced, uh, they even have a director for it already, James Mangold See, and I, see, I have a problem with that one because we've gotten Boba's origin. It was in episode two and, and filled out in the Clone Wars, I should mention, too. He has a pretty lengthy story arc. In yeah, but, 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 but that thing in, um, in episode two sucked, in my opinion. Like, it's just this little boy and his father gets decapitated. And I'm like, so? Like, I don't know. It, it, to, to me, that, that, was, that was just shoehorned in there. And and to I, I mean I kind of I kind of like the connection he has with the clone army, yeah. But that that goes into this this whole kind of problems I have with those movies anyway. But 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 who cares? It's just you know I mean there's something you could do with a Boba Fett uh, film. Who knows? And who knows what genre it would be? You know I mean he he's kind of like it's something like something like uh, will they do something like Leon? Or a Scarface, or I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, 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 the only thing I do know is a direct sequel to Solo is highly unlikely now. Now it is, and that actually would have been something that I would have been interested in with this, with this casting and with the direction they could go now with yeah. the Darth Maul stuff, and now and now him uh, now actually having Jabba showing up and him showing and, him working for him. Who knows? And and, and and Kira being, I, I really want to see what happens to Kira now that she's and now that she is like the head of Crimson Dawn and Maul summoned her and where are they going with that? And I mean, th they clearly left a, a, the potential to continue, but uh, no. I know, not anytime soon, at least. Although, yeah, they they could always allude to it elsewhere, which I'm sure they will. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a shame because that brings us. Um, we're a little bit over time, but uh, who cares? Yeah. I really wanted to get this out of my system. It's only going to take a few minutes. That's something I, I mentioned in my last episode. Um, it, it was a German episode. It's not out yet, but uh, episode twenty-two of this podcast um, for everybody who can speak German. Uh, we we were talking about the so-called fan base of Star Wars and the direction the direction these movies are taking and how many people don't like it. Um, what was it? Damn it. Um, there was, there was something I wanted to, uh, I wanted to talk about. Um, yeah, because what, what do you think, what were the main reasons that Han Solo is actually considered a flop now? I mean, they are 
going to lose like 50, 60 million dollars on a Star Wars film. 80, 80 but yeah. Oh, okay. So what, um, what are the reasons? I mean, I can't, honestly, the only big reason I can think of is they gave us a movie that we no one asked for. Is No, no one was begging for a Han Solo backstory film. You know, we were asking for Maul, we were asking for Grand Admiral Thrawn and Ahsoka and a slew of other characters, but, but not him. And so I think that's the big reason. It's just there was no great outcry to see this in the first place. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. But uh, look at, you know, when they announced, you know, Disney is going to do new Star Wars movies and that, but, and then The Force Awakens became one of the biggest successes of all time with over two $2 billion. And I don't know, was, was there really that, that big of outcry to new Star Wars films at that time? Well... There kind of always, well, there kind of was because if you go all the way back originally, um, there were all, as originally designed, Star Wars was supposed to have four trilogies. Mm. And so, which eventually got shrunk down. So, so, So first we got the original trilogy, then he made the prequel trilogy, And there was always that expectation that there would be a sequel trilogy, although George Lucas kept denying it for years. There was still that half hope that it would get made. And so that's why there was so much excitement when Disney announced Episode 7 is because the fans had always hoped that it would come. So it, there wasn't an outcry per se, but it was more of an ex, uh, a long-held expectation. Okay, yeah, I get, I get that totally, and um, but um, yeah, I mean, one of the factors is, of course, nobody really wanted an origin story, and also, I mean, one of the big factors is also they had to accept a new actor who, and also, like, Owen Ehrenreich is not a big star, you know, no, he's he, not. He, he's not but, an but, actor but, that many people know about. But but then again, neither were Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, and Harrison Ford either. Yeah, but but at that time, it was kind of like you know, you can't really count the first. Star Wars movie because that was kind of like uh, like, like a miracle, you know. That, that's something that caught on, and true, uh, true. And, and it was a different time back then, you know, when when not many movies like that, like like that were coming out, and nowadays um, when when you have um, so many blockbusters, uh, yeah, that's that's another point um, in a second, but um, yeah, that's one of the big factors. You didn't have a big star to carry this movie. You know, you had, in my opinion, mm -hmm. a really, really good actor who really fit the role, in my opinion. But yeah, many, many people, I think, just didn't know who this guy was. And they were like, who is this dude? And he's going to be Han Solo. No, I, I pass. Thank you. <laughs> and one of the other factors, I think, is the release date was totally wrong. Because they... I. I'm pretty sure this movie would have done better if they released it like near Christmas, maybe November, like the other Star Wars things, because they sandwiched it. Like, it, it's not like after a month, after Infinity War, one of the biggest things uh, in, in recent memory, then yeah. it's one week after Deadpool 2, also one of the most awaited movies of the year and just one pretty much one week or two weeks before Jurassic World 2 the sequel to one of the most successful movies 
and I, well, that one, not, the other two, yes, the, the Jurassic World sequel, not so much, but, but, but yeah, yes, um. But but I think um, they're pretty much because so many people went to see Jurassic World for some reason. I hated that movie, and the second <laughs> and the second one is even worse. It's so oh, awful. It's so awful. <laughs> but um, but you know they sandwiched it between Deadpool two and Jurassic World, and you have to consider, not many people are going to a movie every week, and not every everybody can afford it. I mean, I I I really I want to. I want to see a movie every week, and I pretty much do that, but I'm an online critic, you know? I'm uh, not doing this I, for fun. <laughs> I think their bigger mistake was putting it before The Incredibles too. Oh, Jesus, which, which, I haven't even thought about that. I mean, that's going to be one of the movies of the summer, and they put Solo before that one. Yeah, so. but, but maybe, you know, might that be a reason that Disney isn't that concerned? Because... Don't you think they will make their money back with um, with Incredibles two in a way? Yeah, well, yeah, but they they also don't like losing money either. Yeah, uh, which they're doing yeah. currently on Solo. Yeah, I mean, but, but, uh, but Disney had like one but, of the but, biggest flops with John Carter, and now they're doing fine. I mean, I think John yeah. Carter lost way more money than Solo. <laughs> Yeah, but, 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 but I'm, I'm trying to say I understand your point about how they sandwiched it in after and before all these other ones and that cut down on their audience. And also, it was Memorial Day weekend. Mm. People don't go to the movies that much on that week because they're all out with family and partying and stuff. But maybe that was the point, because around Christmas, there's also a lot of family going on, and so they thought, hey... Now they're together with a family, and Han Solo is kind of like, you know, a movie that the whole family can watch, potentially. Yeah, so, yeah but it, I, I, it's different when it's family in the summertime. When it's summertime, you go out. When it's family in winter, you go into the theater. Yeah, yeah, that's also a good point. I mean, um, because the term summer, summer blockbuster doesn't really exist anymore, because blockbusters come out now. That's a big problem nowadays, we have too many big movies per year. You know, there was a time back in 99 where people went to go see The Matrix six times in the cinema because there was just nothing else playing. Yeah. And oh, no, now, I, 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 I remember. I remember. Yeah, and, and nowadays you have, you know, in, uh, within the same week, you, you, could, you could see Infinity War, Deadpool 2, and Jurassic World in some, in some theaters, and now Solo as well. It's so... I mean, that's, that's the big thing. There are just too many big movies coming out. So many that I can't even keep up. You know, I, I just forgot until you mentioned it. Oh, yeah, Incredibles 2 is coming. It's, mm -hmm. That's something I'm, pretty, I, I'm probably going to see during the next two weeks. Who knows? And I'm really looking forward to that. But, yeah, that's, that's, that's a big problem. And you have Jurassic World. Just too many blockbusters in December. I think you have the new Fantastic Beasts. And... Yep. Um, uh, what else? Oh, yeah, you have Ant-Man and the Wasp this year as well. But that's this summer, but yeah, but yeah and uh, um, it's... isn't there an, isn't no, Ant-Man and the Wasp is the last Marvel one for the year. For the year, yeah, because I, I don't oh, think they are going to do more than three nowadays. I think 2017 was the first year oh, they I... did three in a row, and uh, they're going to oh, stick with oh, that. Oh, and don't forget um, Venom is coming out in the fall. Oh, God 
damn it. I have zero faith in that movie. It's gonna suck hard. But you're, are you gonna go see it anyway? I, I, will, I will see it because I also, <laughs> I also went to see Jurassic World too, so... Um, uh, what else is there to do? I mean, I'm I'm an online critic, and I have some viewers who actually are interested in my opinion. I actually drew a, <laughs> a I drew a, twi a Twitter poll to to say because I originally wanted to boycott Jurassic World two because I was so angry about the first movie making that much money, and then I was like, should I boycott Jurassic World two? And most people said, no, you're online critic, go see it. And I was like, okay, fine. And you know, I got a good review out of it, but whatever. It's um. <laughs> And so uh, with Venom, I, I'm just not interested at all. And they mismarketed it at first so much. And, you know, they, they put this teaser out that didn't show anything. And then the, and the now second... it shows everything. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think everything, but, you know, they show something that's at least kind of promising. You know, they show it... Ven Venom, at least. <laughs> well, well... Well, and, and what what irritates me to no end, and we're getting so off track here. No problem. Is, um, they they say symbiote in the trailer, and I'm like, it's symbiote, symbiote, not symbiote. It's Sony. They don't care. <laughs> I know, but it still bugs me. It's like every time they say that, I want to scream at the. The television is like that's not how that word goes. How much do you? How much do you want to bet that they will uh, going to um, kind of redub this for the film version? I'll bet something that they do. It's like, but I'm still not going to go see it just because the whole concept. I mean, even if it's a bad movie, that whole con Venom scares me. Like, you know, he just does. Yeah, but but um, I I actually hope if it flops, that could actually really really give Sony the last reason to actually really let it go for good. You know, just just giving all the rights back to Marvel um, uh, yeah. once and for all, because I really liked how they included Spider Man now in the MCU and it works. Oh, it, yeah. it works so well yeah, because it... Sony screwed it up twice. And uh, mm -hmm. at the end, of course. I mean, both of these um, Spider-Man uh, film uh, film series had had promises, and then they screwed it up with Spider-Man Three. In a way, I mean, I I still like that movie, but uh, mm -hmm. they 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 did a lot of wrong things. And um, with Amazing Spider-Man Two, which also has some uh, good points, they just rush this thing so so much. It's just you know, Sony Sony screws them up. Every time they, they did the same thing with the Dark Tower. They, they screwed up the Dark Tower and everything. And so, Are they the ones who screwed up Fantastic Four a couple of years ago? That was Fox. Oh. Uh, Fo Fox, Fox screwed it up I, I, three I knew, times. I knew it was somebody. Yeah, yeah, Fox. Um, uh, Fox is also really incompetent with their licenses. It's it's so it's so awful what what both of these do and so I I think in in twenty years Disney is gonna own everything except for DC because Warner Brothers will not let go DC. <laughs> oh, never say never. I mean, I mean, who would have thought that Disney would own Star Wars and yet here we are. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know what? Uh, they they are going to own everything in twenty years. Everything, but but I really like everything. how how Disney. It doesn't include their logo in front of the Star Wars movies or the MCU movies. You know, they just mm -hmm. uh, they they want these movies kind of to stand 
on its own and not put their brand on it. And and that's something that I actually really respect um, because um, the, that shows at least some humble thoughts. But still, you watch the new trailer for Wreck-It Ralph 2, which I'm also really yeah, excited yeah. for. I was just going to mention that in that trailer, they include all their major properties. Yeah, which is something that it, it's like they're trying to make their own version of Ready Player One. <laughs> <laughs> And that's something I really had a problem with. I was like, they, they show this big Disney vault in a way where all of these, you know, you have the Muppets next to Pixar, next to Disney, next to Marvel, next to everything. And I'm like, this is really not necessary. Like, like this is really kind of annoying. But I mean, I'm sure it will be a good movie and it will be way better than the Emoji movie. Um, oh my, anything is better than the Emoji movie. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely <laughs> right. But that's that's pretty much... I mean, both of these movies were kind of like in production at the same time. So yeah. um, so uh, it's no wonder that they, got, that they get compared. But when I watched the first trailer for Racket Ralph 2, I was like... I actually wrote a tweet to Sony to Sony where it's like do you see this this is how you do a movie like this right and I haven't even <laughs> seen it yet I just see the trailer and I'm like yeah they get it but yeah mm -hmm. I'm excited for that but it will be product placement galore for um, for Star Wars and, and everything even though I, I like the, the, the princess stuff they do in that yeah. it has a lot of potential to be really good because Wreck-It Ralph is one of my favorite Disney, movie, Disney movies in recent memory it's one of the, the best they've done lately it's so good but how did we come to this topic? I have no idea. But that's, like, oh yeah, that's but like, that's how it goes. Oh, no, that's how it goes. Oh yeah. Well, um, you were you, you were talking about how there were too many blockbusters. The movie yeah, there. yeah, exactly. In conclusion, let's just say that I enjoyed these new Disney Star Wars projects for the most part you know rogue one mm -hmm. i thought was a misstep really early on but i get why a lot of people liked it and i respect it for trying something different and i just really really hope that in future projects they are trying to do actually something really new because the last jedi even though also that movie tried something new in some uh, aspects Yes. I think they didn't try hard enough because it still feels too familiar in some in some scenes. I, I was... really, I mean, I, I mean, it's, to me, it, the Last Jedi threw me for a loop because it did not feel like, well, except for that, except for the Snoke throne room scene that had Return of the Jedi all over it. Yeah, but... that's something I really had a problem with. But but for the most part, especially that Ray in the cave scene, that was totally. What is going on? Yeah, but that's also kind of reminiscent of uh, the, the Luke scene when he goes into the jungle and confronts himself as Darth Vader. It's sort, sort of, but at the same time, no, because just the way it was done, it was like, it really threw me for a loop. Like, what is going on here? It's yeah. Like, I mean, the concept is the same. The theme is kind of the same, but the execution is different, which I liked. Um, that, that's something that sets it apart in a way. But my brothers, they hated that movie so much. I I was in in there with my whole family, and I was the only one coming out of it who liked it. And my family just yeah. despised that movie so much. It's 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 not. I I never hated it. It just it subverted all my expectations going in. Mm. Like of all the questions raised. By the end of the Force Awakens, practically none were answered by the end of the Last Jedi. 
Yeah, but some of these aspects I liked, you know, how they actually, um, if, when they, you know, who is Snoke? Oh, Snoke is nobody. I really liked that. Like, who are Ray's parents? Nobody. Because I hate it when they always tie it back to the same three people and they are, um, you know, if they are, uh, these are the ancestors and this is her grandfather and this is his father, yeah. blah, blah, blah. It's so narrow-minded and makes this whole universe so small. And so I really liked uh, those two things, uh, which a lot of people were angry about. And I liked it because it was something I didn't expect. They didn't go the safe route. And um, um, But if, if a movie had uh, a bad ending, in my opinion, in the way that it should have ended a half hour earlier with mm. kind of Ray and Kylo Ren teaming up or maybe leaving mm. it open to a possible team up, because at the end they are exactly where they were before, just weaker. <laughs> Well, yeah, and the scene where they fight together is great. Oh, I you like know, it. I, yeah. I was like, I, I was like, yes, finally, this is this is the payoff moment. And then he went into the whole "join me" speech, and it totally shattered the moment. Yeah. It's like, it's like, no, they should have teamed so, up. Yeah. They should have teamed up and like, you know, hey, let's make, uh, l let's do something good with the First Order. Because the First Order is just, it's kind of just bad because there's something bad at the helm. Um, and uh, if, if they uh, uh, kind of like uh, get rid of the, the people who are in charge, um, you could drop the soul. Because I really like how the First Order kind of represents like how, how neo-Nazis see themselves. Mm -hmm. um, I, I really, I, I really like. I mean, it's kind of on the nose in some, uh, in, especially in, in in the Force Awakens uh, visually. Yeah. But it still it works in my opinion, and it it's it's something kind of interesting. And they were from the get go in Episode Four. They are uh, reminiscent of uh, of uh, Nazi soldiers and everything, especially like the, the people who are in charge, the uniforms, yeah. the the behavior. So it's not something new. And all the people say, "Keep politics out of my Star Wars films." It was there from the beginning. Even the right. even the droids being kind of like a minority that everybody looks down upon. That's also in Episode Four. That's not something that was yeah. invented for Solo. <laughs> uh, no, no, Solo just expanded on the idea, which I. I love the part where L3, you know, starts by freeing the one droid. It's like, she, she just says it as an offhand comment and it grows into a full-on rebellion. And I was like, yes, I love it. Yeah, I really liked it. That was, that's something that, that I found uh, really entertaining, also, the, the and, idea. Oh, and, and, like, before we go, like, do you get why everyone hates L3? Because... Everyone I've talked to hates that character, and I don't know why. Um, I think it's 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 just what I said, you know, um, that uh, people think, oh, it's it's too political, it's a uh, feminazi, blah blah blah, um, because they they don't want this kind of stuff in their happy little fantasy sci-fi movie. They they want something, yeah, they they want just something something safe and all that stuff, and, and they think um, nowadays with every movie tries to have this kind of like political message and oh and and feminists and everything and so many people are against that and i i, I don't i don't like that mindset at all but I, I think that's a big reason because they they just said oh now we have the feminist robot character and we have the, the symbolism and the, the political agenda blah 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 social justice robot 
and uh, that's something I didn't have a problem with because I am I'm a guy who is all for you know more movies with female protagonists, more movies with less sexism and everything and that's that's why I loved uh, The Force Awakens so much because they you know we have a female protagonist who is really really likable and relatable and and also that's why I like Rose so much uh, in, in uh, Last Jedi what, what... oh my god I love Rose I mean especially when we first meet her like her first reaction is just to shock Finn it's like I like her yeah, I like her. I mean, she she does this one stupid thing at the end, which also which also has kind of like a deeper meaning. I, I get it, but in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't it doesn't work that well. That that's one thing I don't like. I don't like about it. But but for the most part, she's um, she's a really good uh, she's a really good character, and they introduce her perfectly. Yeah, you immediately understand her, and also her connection with uh, with a character who dies early on in the movie. They do it her all. Si- her sister, yeah. Yeah, they do it all visually. You know, they don't really talk about it, and I like that. But I mean, Last Jedi is not a perfect movie. It has a lot of problems, but uh, it has yeah. so many aspects I like. But a lot of people, and that's something you know we could get into, but we won't, are just so terrified of the idea of equality, and also kind of Disney is afraid of that too, because they are still not letting like. Uh, like a person of color, you know, directing one of these movies, you know, all the all the people in charge are white, and uh, that's that's something that that also kind of uh, angers me. And I think now, in the in a time where Black Panther, a movie like Black Panther, brings in so much money and really really shows mm-hmm. that there is a big, uh, you know, a big need for for movies that represent. Uh, certain people in this way. I think there's something about to change in Hollywood now, finally. And also, like, a Jordan Peele winning Best Screenplay for Get Out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also a big, big point, um, which I think um, should should change something. Um, and uh, because Kathleen Kennedy... Uh, I mean, it, it, it's kind of cool that we have a woman in charge of Star Wars, of course, but uh, even though I don't like all of her decisions, but still, it's a statement. And but but when she always talks about uh, when people ask her, oh, when will will we have like a person of color or a woman direct a Star Wars movie? And she's like, oh, oh, soon, very soon. And I'm like, yeah, when? You know, it's it's just uh, you know you have you had the big chance like maybe for for Episode Nine, but now you go back to J.J. Abrams to play it safe. You know, it's it's something that's something that shouldn't be played safe nowadays. It's. And and the you know in terms of uh, Black Panther being such a success, also like something like Get Out and all of this, I think it's time. You know, it's it's really really finally time. I would I would love it so much too. And also, I think Star Wars is a universe that could be explored more beyond the whole Skywalker four story, and that's something they try sometimes with Solo, but you know it it still feels too familiar. It feels too safe. Uh, I mean, the fact that they uh, fired the directors and uh, did something else with it, uh, and just following the script, you know, it's 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 such a shame that they still don't like to experiment a little bit more. But I mean, the the fact that Solo isn't a success, who knows what it will bring for the future? You know, uh, will that will that mean that they will play it more safer? Or will that show them that playing it too safe sometimes is just not a good idea? Who can't say? Yeah, who know? Who can say that? But I think um, for the big conclusion, we can say that we both liked Solo. 
But we had some legitimate criticisms, um, sometimes different, you know, and sometimes uh, something we agreed on. Um, but I'm but I'm really glad that, that you also liked some of the points I liked and uh, and also uh, how much insights you brought us uh, about the, the expanded universe and everything. Because you you know um, we we see that you are a big Star Wars fan and you had a lot of mm-hmm. good info <laughs> information for this podcast. Because I chatted with my friend um, Ian Crab earlier, who has been a guest on this podcast several times, and he saw Solo recently and he hated it. Um, he, he told me he hated it so much and he didn't want to see it. He boycotted it actually. And she just, um, he got a chance to see it for free. And, um, he, it was everything he expected it to be and less, uh, because <laughs> it, it was just, um, uh, that was also his big point. He, f- he found it unnecessary and, um, he did, he doesn't need a, a Han Solo thing and he wanted to boycott that movie out of principle, you know, and that was something I was like, Okay, fine. You know, that that was kind of like the principle I wanted to boycott Jurassic World with, you know, because I'm like, no, I don't want to see this because I know it's going to suck. I know I'm not going to like it and I know it's going to make a billion dollars again and I will be mad. But I mean, I'm, I'm also like, I, I'm a critic, you know, it's it's kind of like, it's kind of my duty. I mean, I I don't get paid for it, but it's still... I shouldn't judge a movie before I see it, you know, uh, if that makes yeah. sense. So, although, although I mean, I mean, we shouldn't, but sometimes it's hard not to. Yes, exactly. Especially when, because with some films, even though trailers are meant to hide the flaws, sometimes when they can't even do that, then you can start. Then you start judging, like, oh my gosh, even the trailer looks bad. Yeah, this is the reason why I'm not looking forward to. Venom, and that was something because when I heard about the production problems of Solo, I didn't give up on the movie because I wanted it to be good, even though I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan, because of all the people that were involved in it. I was still interested because some with some movies, when I hear that they have big production problems, I'm like, uh-oh, bad sign, but with Solo, I'm like, oh, that's a bummer. I hope they make the best of it, you know? So, there you see, you can, you can see it in different ways. And uh, with Solo... It's it's uh, considering the circumstances, they had to shoot the whole movie twice, which makes it the yeah. most expensive Star Wars movie ever, with kind of like two hundred and fifty million dollars, which is just insane. Yeah. Con- considering that, they did what they could. You know, I mean, the movie is not awful. It's really not, in no, my opinion, it's, it's no, not. It's, no, it's not. I, I was pleasantly surprised by how much I was enjoying it by the end. Yeah. But. It I mean, co- uh, I still doesn't. I I still don't see any other way that would have led to me having raised expectations going in because, I mean, for for one, we didn't get even a trailer until just a couple months before it came out. Yeah, that might also be one of the reasons why it didn't make much money. The advertising started too late. Far way, way too. I mean. Even with Rogue One got its first teaser a full year out, mm. and 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 Solo, Solo. I mean, I, we kept waiting and waiting, and there was nothing. And so yeah. by the time it came out, opinion was set that this was going to be. If not bad, then not so good. Oh, Aquaman. Aquaman is coming out in November. Still no trailer at all. 
Oh yeah, I completely forgot. Because, um, and I heard actually a statement by the director James Wan, they don't want to show anything before the effects are finished enough for a trailer. Oh, because I think that's going to be a big CGI-heavy movie. And that's something I actually have some faith in, because I liked Aquaman and Justice League, and I like James Wan a lot as a director. So that's a movie of a DCEU I'm actually looking forward to. But still, I think that movie is going to suffer somewhat because... <laughs> Of see, the lack of marketing um, right now. See, I've basically sworn off the DCEU just because I, except for maybe Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman was good. Uh, but, but for the most part, I don't pay any attention to the DC films. I just, I don't like their style. I, I just don't know. Same, they, they, same. Absolutely. I, I agree completely. They did five movies now, and only one of them has been good, in my opinion. I mean, just that one was Wonder Woman. Just, I, oh yeah, oh yeah, um, Wonder Woman, uh, exactly. Like uh, the um, the other ones are so awful. I mean, Justice League is just you know it's like a train wreck and a, and a, a uh, mixture of two different visions. I mean, that also like production hell. But um, it, it's it's just not a good movie in its own right, and uh, the other ones are so so awful. And it's I mean, like, Suicide Squad, I will say, had potential. They it had, just went about it the wrong way. All of these movies had potential. That's a, that's a big thing. I mean, nothing... I mean, right now I have lost completely all faith in Zack Snyder ever making, mm. like, a, a decent movie ever again. Because yeah. it's not it's not like because I dislike the dude, because I don't, you know? I, I, I really don't. Yeah. But in my opinion, he's just as good as his material. And... Um, uh, in in terms of like something like Watchmen, that was good material and he handled it well. And uh, Man of Steel, it has a ba- it had a bad script written by uh, uh, written by Goya, who hates uh, comic book fans. Um, so it's that's actually confirmed. So um, yeah, that's a whole. Then why did he, then why did he write it? Because I don't know. Because he was involved in the Dark Knight trilogy and that was successful. And he also was involved in Blade. He was just involved in enough projects that he had a name. And so people think he's a good writer, and he isn't. Because he's, I mean, just, a first, uh, he's just a first-string writer on the Dark Knight trilogy. And that shows, because those movies are actually good. I think all of the things that he contributed are things that don't work about the movies. If they had just handled it differently, DC could have just as good a cinematic universe as Marvel does, but... The, their problem is they rushed everything mm, about it. Exactly. You, you know, it, it, all they had to do was repeat Marvel's formula, you know, pick a hero to start with and just slowly build it, you know, just like they did, you know, you know, and they gave us Justice League too soon. They should, if they wanted to do Suicide Squad, they should have given us standalone films first to establish the characters. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and, because it feels like a sequel to a movie that doesn't exist. I, 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 well, that, that, I actually saw a big chunk of it on a vacation once, and that was every flashback scene for all the members felt like it came from a different movie. Yeah. And it's like, I want to see those, but they don't exist. Yeah, that, that's a big problem. Um, and I mean, they tried starting it, you know, with Man of Steel. I mean, also kind of like too late for to compete with Marvel. Yeah. But it seemed like, you know, uh, starting with Superman makes sense. But 
yeah. one problem, the movie was terrible, and two, it wasn't that big of success as they were hoping for, so they rushed immediately Batman into it. They were like, you have yeah. to do Batman now. And then they did the whole Death of Superman thing only in the second movie he popped up in. And then, yeah. you know, all, and let's also build up the... It's pretty much the same mistake they did with Amazing Spider-Man 2, where they built up the Sinister Six throughout the whole movie for no reason. And then the same, you know, built up the Justice League throughout the whole thing of Batman versus Superman. And uh, it's, it's just... And, 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 and then it didn't help that the, the one... The biggest thing that tanked Suicide Squad is they made it seem like the Joker was everywhere. And he wasn't. <laughs> yeah, but that was, uh, considering the performance, that was a good thing. Well, you know, the th there's barely any performance to see, though. It's like... That's it's, true, yeah. I mean, I mean, I watched every scene he did, and there. I'm sorry, there's not enough there to judge whether it's good or not. You know, there... It, it, it seems like it was going towards good, but there's so little of him there. Yeah, there's some... And, and, and he figured so heavily in the marketing. It's like, you assume he's one of the big players, and he's not, and that's not a cool thing to do to comic fans. Like, Yeah, and I think he was supposed to be a much bigger thing, considering what they told uh, us about it, and then they just screwed it up in the editing. You know, just the, 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 the audience, the test audience said, oh, it's, it's just, it's way too dark. And then we're like, it's, oh, okay, it's cut it. It's Suicide Squad, it's meant to be dark. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> right. Cut it down to 10 minutes, blah, blah. Yeah, but, <laughs> um, and, I'm, and I've seen some behind-the-scenes footage where Jared Leto did some fun stuff, where I was like, hey, this has potential, but in the finished product... It comes yeah. across so trite and awful, uh, and he's just trying too hard, and it's so em so embarrassing. I, I mean, the the scene in his club was pretty good. I mean, th that's like the one scene that was I thought was actually good. Ah uh, no, I didn't. I didn't like that at all. The funny thing is, I watched that movie like opening night in the original. In, a, in the original version in the cinema, like they did an English screening in Germany. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was so, so awful and so embarrassing. And then I watched the German dubbed version on Blu-ray and actually yeah. the, the German voice made it better. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's so funny. I actually, I... I actually liked the dubbed version way better because uh, in the German version, he doesn't sound like a Heath Ledger knockoff for one. And it just—I don't know. To, to me, it actually—it it, wasn't—it didn't bother me as much. I don't know. I don't know what it was. But something about the inflection, something about the voice, um, was was better in the German version. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really funny. Maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe I can uh, find a clip of it and then send it to you. But it's 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 kind of interesting. Mm. Um, but the funny thing also, the, the German voice actor of of Leto's Joker, he also did the most recent. Um, uh, German voice acting for Kermit the Frog. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, and he doesn't sound like him at all, so it's it's fine. But yeah, but whatever. It's it's just it's just a quick tangent. But but yeah. Oh, so, sorry, dear listeners. We just we just uh, keep going off track. But I I think when you listen to my podcast enough, you know this by this point. But yeah. Um. Um. Whatever. Um. So let me just say. 
Uh, thank you so much uh, for being um, a part of this and thank you for your big insights on the uh, Star Wars universe. Um, I had a lot of fun talking to you. It was great to hear um, another opinion on this. And um, I think we are both curious to see where these movies go and what we can expect from them. And just, I think uh, the conclusion is just time will tell. <laughs> so, so, what do you have to say before, before the end? Um, I, I had a great time talking about Solo and just hearing what you thought about it also. And it, it's always fun to talk about the Star Wars films because, you know, er, everyone has different thoughts on this character and that character. And I always enjoy talking about it and talking about theories and where is this character going to go? And I had a, a great time and, uh, and hopefully we can, you know, do this again sometime. Oh yeah. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really sure you will uh, return as a guest because uh, as we discovered, we have a lot to say about a lot of different topics and I can't wait to um, lay into those and just uh, let it uh, and just go rogue, you know, just uh, uh, doing, doing some really fun stuff with us. So um, where can people find you? Um, you can find me in a lot of places. Um, I'm on Twitter at MusicGamer460, and I have my blog, Film Music Central, at www.filmmusiccentral.com, and that also, the blog has links to my Facebook page, and I also have a Patreon page, and I have a lot of pages, and they're all linked there, and... That is where you can find me. Awesome. All of these links will also be featured in the description, dear listeners, so don't worry. Um, uh, yeah, you you will find everything. Um, you can find all of my stuff, dear listeners, but you know that already, but for the newcomers. Um, I'm on YouTube, Vet Depart, or if you just type in Lasse Vogt, you can find all my movie reviews, my movies in five seconds, my short films there. Um, you can find me on Twitter, at Lasse Vogt. You can find me on Facebook, this podcast is featured on SoundCloud and iTunes, and I write German soundtrack reviews for scoregeek.wordpress.com. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being a part of this episode. You're welcome. <laughs> and we say goodbye, dear listeners, and good night. Goodbye.